You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1080 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Tuesday evening. September 21st, we are one week away from training camp opening, less than a week away from media day arriving here in Atlanta, and uh, I'll get into like top 100 stuff later on, later date, but we continue today our player capsule series with our second to last episode. We've done a lot of these, and I'm joined once again by Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops. Hello, sir. Hello. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, thank you, my friend. Uh, and uh, today we will be talking about Gorgie Jang as well as John Collins, as it says in the description of this podcast. And then on the last one, DeAndre Hunter and Friends will be the last podcast. Some of the non-guaranteed guys, plus Solomon Hill probably. But um, today, Gorgie and Collins. And uh, I guess we'll just dive in. Let's just dive in with Jang. Uh, obviously, this is a situation where the Hawks had a pretty glaring need once it was clear that a Kongwu was not going to be ready to play at the beginning of the season due to the injury that he has, the labrum issue. Um, and they needed to bring in someone who could credibly play 10 to 15, 15 minutes a game for a few months. And Gorgie Jang, I think, can do that, broadly speaking. So before we get into like what he is, was what, what did, sort of, I guess, how did you feel about that signing when it happened? They gave him more than the minimum, but not a ton more and didn't really cost themselves anything. I think it was perfect. I mean, I don't think you would want any worse or any better of a player for that role, if that makes sense. Like, he's right on that line of, like, he's probably too good to just play, like, 10 minutes a game. But, I mean, given that Capella's not going to play every night, um, he's good enough to, like, spot start and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you obviously wouldn't want him to be your starter, but, I mean, he can play. He's been in a few stops, and he's always kind of – been able to post decent like two-way stretches so i like it and i don't have any um hot take about it you know i'm not like overly excited about it or like think <laughs> anything's gonna go wrong with it i just think it was like a really solid move and like i think i said on one of the other pods like the combination of him and delon Wright replacing um what was in those spots last year is probably the biggest upgrade on i mean it has to be the biggest upgrade on the roster outside of just if we get 70 games of what hunter was last season i mean that's that's a huge upgrade on the wing as far as overall output but i mean it's it's more of a big deal than i think and people are talking about it but i still think it could even be a you know even a little bit bigger deal than people are at are talking because you hear a lot about cooper and lou williams and stuff but those two guys could be those two veterans that like really carry the Hawks for just a couple of minutes and, you know, allow them to get more, you know, easy, not easy wins, but, you know, wins where they don't have to constantly overcome the trade minutes or the non-trade minutes, I should say. Yeah. I talk about this a lot, especially last year, we kind of went on and on about how important the depth was that the Hawks have, and they really tested it. I mean, with all the injuries they had, they were tested, um, in that and it held up for the most part there were still some nights when the injuries were really bad where it was kind of ugly and you had to go deep into the bench but um this season they're even deeper and part of that is what you just said uh bringing in right to kind of replace um, what they had there between you know goodwin and rondo and uh you know kind of Lou and the way that he was there at the end and then essentially gorgie jang is coming in for the brewer for the animates 
or the Nathan Knight minutes, like which is obviously a massive upgrade. You know, early in the year, he's also replacing a Kongwu, um, which is a bigger, you know, a bigger thing to fill. But given that a Kongwu was a rookie last season, I am pretty comfortable saying that Gorgie Jang right now today is better um, in terms of winning a game right then than a Kongwu was earlier last season as a rookie. And that obviously Kong was more talented, his upside's a lot higher, et cetera. But in terms of just what you got from backup center, quote unquote, last year to what Gorgie Jang would give you, much less what he and Kong might give you when Kong comes back, is an upgrade to, to your point there. So, I mean, Jang was one of the highest guys on my list for this particular role because of what you said. Obviously, they couldn't really um, probably lure anybody any better than him. And they probably wouldn't have wanted to because they have a Kongwu that they're invested heavily in. And also, something I've said a million times and we'll get into later also, is that you know John Collins can and will play some center. He's not a center um, on this roster, but he will play center this year. So you already have a guy who, who, who can do both, plus a high-end starter. So the role was fairly small. And um, I know Andrew Kelly liked uh, Jang the entire way. He was on my list as well. I think he was on your list as well. And this is a guy that they kind of... I think they obviously nailed this, but like you also said, it's not the sexiest thing in the world. So he's an eight-year pro from Louisville. He played most of his career in Minnesota when he was actually basically a starter for a while. Got a big contract at one point. I think it was four years and 60-something million dollars to be their starting center uh, alongside alongside Cat, basically. It was the, uh, sort of a two-man front court there. Uh, he's 31. He'll be 32 in January. He was an older draftee. You know, most guys who have played eight years are not into their into their 30s already in the modern NBA with their first-round picks, but he was an older guy coming out of Louisville as well. So not a huge stat guy, 7-4 you know, and four last year in 38 games, um, a smaller role. But, you know, I would say, I guess, offensively we'll start there first. Like, he, he could shoot the three a decent amount, um, shooting more of them the last couple of years. Actually, it was pretty accurate, 38%. The volume is low, about two per game. It takes a long time to get a shot off. Um, if you ever watch Gorgie Jang play, like he, if he has time to really load up, I think he can make an open jumper. But it takes him a while. He's not, the utility is not necessarily great. And I think that he's always taken a, kind of a lot of long twos. I was looking through his box scores and uh, his stats. He kind of translated those into threes last year, which I think is what everybody always wants to happen, including myself. Like analytically, you rather take a 22 foot, sorry, 23 foot three than a 21 and a half foot two. And that definitely helps him a little bit. But, you know, offensively, he's never been this dynamic guy. He's fine. He won't get you killed. Um, but he really, you know, is more of a, you know, solid-ish option offensively. Uh, I mean, I guess you'll you anybody looks better next to Trey Young and next to what the Hawks might have. But I think I'd keep expectations pretty low for him offensively. I don't know. I think, you know, Hawks fans, I'm going to ask something of you maybe for the first time ever. Go to YouTube, type Uh-oh. in Gorgie Jing crosses up lebron james oh lord he literally dropped him we're off the rails already this is good (laughs) i like this no i'm just kidding but it's a real video clip that exists he dropped the king and hit a three while (laughs) while, while lebron was trying to get back up but anyway like dribble move and everything it was crazy but obviously that's not what you bring him in for or what you expect him to do no i mean i completely agree with you know what you said in terms of his role and I think he's just kind of going to be like um, maybe not as exclusively involved in the in the pick game as Deadman. He'll probably actually spot up a little bit more. But, I, I mean, I, he gives you that option to be – you could play like a, your stretch five and, and still have Collins at power forward. And the Hawks haven't really had that since Deadman left. Yeah, I think Deadman um, 
which came out of nowhere. I think people always forget that. But Deadman was a complete non-shooter that just became an awesome shooter overnight almost. It was very bizarre, but it happened. But uh, yeah, I think he actually fits well with Collins, um, which is kind of why I part of these guys together on this podcast. But um, it's not a huge deal. But in terms of early in the season, I would certainly like to play, if I had to choose combinations to take advantage of the bench, I think Jang is a better fit with Collins, uh, whereas Capella is a better fit with Gallinari in that sense of those four guys. Um, I think I'd rather play Jang with Collins when possible. Not that you couldn't play with Gallinari, but they're more like they're, you want that lob threat, that dive threat, and neither one of these guys really is. Jang can kind of do it, but Gallinari is not really obviously a roll threat. He's more of a pop guy. So I would, uh, you know, ideally speaking, you think he probably fits better with Collins offensively. But regardless, I think he just kind of plugs a hole, and it's not going to be awesome offensively, but he, uh, he can shoot a little bit. He has to be guarded out there, at least reasonably so. And will rebound and be active and all that stuff. Um, defensively, he came out of college with like a huge rep as a shot blocker and really blocked a lot of shots in Minnesota. I think he's not quite defensively what he was supposed to be, quote-unquote, coming out of the draft. But he's always been pretty good defensively as a rim protector. He's not incredible in terms of mobility and that stuff, but he can move a little bit. He's not totally sedentary. His shot blocking has been down a little bit the last couple of years, but in general, the advanced metrics seem to like his defense. You know, I, I was looking at basketball um, indexes, LeBron metric. They had him as a positive defender last year. EPM. Most of the systems seem to like his defense in general as being like above average. Not great, but above average. And that's kind of what I see too. I think he'll be totally fine. It's good to have a veteran back there that can make calls and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, not to pour it on Bruno Fernando or anything like that, but the upgrade there defensively from what they have gotten the last few years, um, you know, pre-Capella and also behind Capella last year, he's just a lot more solid than that. I think the perfect situation for the Hawks is like in March when ideally all three centers are healthy, you would have the option – well, first of all, you'd be in a good place in the standings. So, you know, you're, maybe you'd be one of those teams that's not playing for every single win. And then you have the ability to not even have Capella play, you know, some back-to-backs and stuff and have uh, Jing ideally would be backing up a Kongwu, uh, your lottery pick. Hopefully he looks good when he comes back. And those games, I mean, you obviously lose something from Capella, but, I mean, you might not for one night if both of those guys are playing well. I mean, you can definitely get by with a Kong Wu and Jang playing center for a night against Orlando if you have to. Yes, especially when you also have Collins as another change of look. Like, that's the thing. Uh, you know, Capella has been fairly durable in his career. He's generally been like a 60-65 kind of game player. Um, long season, he's very valuable. And last year, it did feel like when he wasn't out there, the Hawks were in some trouble defensively for full games, whereas this year, particularly when a Kong Wu comes back, I tend to agree. I think they can be careful if, with Capella if they want to be to prepare him for the playoffs, especially if you're in a, if you're in a good spot. And I know obviously we're high, we're pretty high on the Hawks this year. Um, if they're in a good position in March and April, you can kind of start ramping up by ramping down. If that makes sense, like getting Capella some rest, um, getting Collins some rest. How do you want to do that? Having some depth in the front court overall is uh, very helpful. Even and honestly, you know one of the perks of paying four million for one year Gorgie Jang is that when Okonwu comes back, hopefully, and establishes himself as being ready to play, you can just not play Jang on a night. Um, it's, not, it's not the biggest deal in the world. He's not so good that you are forced to play him. I think that's part of the calculus that we talked about at the beginning of this. Is you know When Okonwu is back and healthy, if you get into playoff series, or if you want to say like a must-win game in, in April for positioning or whatever, 
if you're drawing up a rotation, Jiang's not in it, probably, if you have a Kongwu available and Capella and Collins. And that's okay. That's part of the uh, appeal of this. Yeah, he may or may not be. I mean, they might like his shooting in a certain matchup or something, but I ideally your lottery pick would would be because if Jing and Capella both play, that means a Kongwu's not playing much. And if Kongwu's healthy and not playing, that's a lot bigger of a deal, like you're saying. Like yeah. a veteran on a four million dollar deal, if he doesn't play, he doesn't play. I mean, it's kinda like And he knows I, that, I, I'm sure. I mean yeah. and I, have... I definitely think Jing is better than Solomon Hill, but he probably will have no chance of being as valuable as Hill was last season. Well, the only way that he is is if you get an injury, and obviously we don't we're not rooting for that. But that's the only the only way that Gorgie Jang is playing a massive massive role on this team is if Capella goes down for two months, or if Kongwu just can't come back or has a setback or something like that. Like, obviously, in a perfect world with health, he's not going to be a huge part of the rotation from like February on. Um, but he also could be. He could fill in and. Um, I think maybe one of the reasons why they gave him more than the minimum, this is just speculation now, is that he probably he probably knows that once a con comes back, he may not be able to play. And that's maybe you paid a slight tax on that just because of that or whatever the role is. And, you know, if all comes to, to comes to bear and maybe they had an agreement with him that they could trade him if, if they don't if the con comes back. Whatever works. I mean, it's a lower scale thing, and I think that it was a unique situation with a Kongwu and where it's like, all right, well, we had this really deep team, but our one spot where we only had one backup being a Kongwu, he's the guy that got hurt. And it's like, all right, well, now we have, we have to plug this hole. And you didn't want to go with an unproven guy. You know, you can have an unproven third center, a la what they had last year, or if something happens this year, you have Jalil Okafor there or something like that. But unproven backup center can get you killed. And they didn't want to have that problem. So, yeah. I wouldn't label Okafor as unproven. He's just limited. Well, like, yeah, you, you know, know what I mean, he, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what he is, though. I mean, absolutely. You do know you. Yeah, we'll save that for later. But yes, we know what he is. Yeah. It's just not great. Um, whereas you know, whatever they've had, even going back to like Damian Jones, like you know, Damian Jones is too, but he's just not not great. And you you need to have yeah. what you need, especially when you're trying to compete every night as the Hawks are. Um, and having James, it's just a good insurance policy, and he should give them some some stability. And honestly, like. In a world in which this team was constructed differently, if Gorgie Jang is your backup center for the full season, you're, I'm just talking about just any team, that's totally fine. Like, he's, he's yeah. a totally fine backup center. What he is. I think it's crazy that, I mean, we can save the strict, the Okafor talk, but just since we're talking about centers, I think it's crazy that Okafor is, what, probably 50-50 to make the team, and I would argue he's better than Jones and Fernando, who have been rostered who were rostered for a while. I mean, probably, yeah. I mean, I think that... I mean, Jones is better at the lob position. Yeah, I, I think David Jones is actually pretty good offensively just because yeah. of how good he is as a lob threat. But defensively, he's so bad that it's like... And then yeah. Bruno, I, I even if you still believe in Bruno, and I, I kind of do, like as a potential backup center on the line, he's not good right now. So nah, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, anything else on Jay before we move on? Because, I mean, I feel we kind of covered it. Obviously, like his projections are... A small sample size, but generally, like 538 likes him. He's projecting like $5 million value for this year. That's more than they paid for him. Um, yeah, I think in general, the metrics seem to like him. So pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously based on probably him having is that is that based on what the role have with the Hawks? That he'll provide $5 million in value? I mean, I, it's kind of always nuanced. Like last year, they had him for $4 million in value with only 38 games. So, like, he was obviously on a rate basis better than that. Um, 
he was very limited. Yeah, last I would agree with that. I think if someone had to start him, he could be a $10 million center. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was not a great contract, but he once got a four sixty four contract that actually happened. Like he was he basically, he basically got the deal. People like Drummond and Whiteside that are just played out and like get, except he's not like played out. Like he can still like help a team. Yeah. I mean, but, like I said, I, I think he, if he's your backup center and you're any team in the league, you're generally fine. And uh, he's the Hawks' third center, hopefully, if Conwell comes back healthy. So that's a pretty good spot to be in. All right, before we get to Collins and uh, some discussion of one of the Hawks' core pieces, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite TV shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for all of the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about the simple way you get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like they've never been before. So you can watch your favorite shows, movies, and sports all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So you can get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week, and it made no sense at all and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball, and it's called Game Pick. It's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count toward the team's total score, ensuring that an even number of games are played between opponents. The days of losing because your opponent's players had more scheduled games that week are over, and so is the fact that you have mindless daily busy work in the previous environment, and if you're giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work, those days are also over. In Game Picks, you pick one game per week for each player based on all kinds of factors from player matchups to home versus away, opponents' defensive rankings, pace of play, and much more. And all of that adds up to more strategy and less busy work. Whether you prefer redraft, keeper, or dynasty leagues, Game Picks has you covered. Sleeper has cracked the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love Game Picks. If you can download the Sleeper app right now and start a league with your friends today, you will not be disappointed. Sleeper's one-of-a-kind game pick is the most strategic fantasy basketball experience in the industry. Check it out and download the Sleeper app today. All right, Zach, let us dive in to the John Collins experience. Um, obviously, the uh, first year of a five-year big money deal for John. He actually turns 24 on Thursday. So happy, happy early birthday to John Collins. A couple days from now, he'll be 24 years old. Um, had a good year last year, of course. Uh, not quite the same like counting stats as the year before, which we kind of all knew was going to happen because they had – a lot of guys around him, from Capella to uh, better wings to all of that stuff, but he was still quite good. Averaged about 18 and seven, 18 and eight, something like that last year, in fewer minutes per game. In fact, his per hundred possession numbers were very similar to the previous year, which tells you that you know most of the counting stat drop off, quote unquote, was not real. It was more that you know his role was just a little bit smaller. Um, and in the playoffs, I thought he played very well. Um, I want to start there kind of, and also talk about his defense here in the first little segment that we're going to talk about here, because there was an interesting split. And I, I know, I know you saw this too, between uh, even some Hawks fans and some other people that were like talking about how he wasn't great in the playoffs. Cause the average, I think was like 14 points a game in the playoffs. And then there were others. And I think most people nationally were very, very impressed with Collins in the playoffs. And part of that is because uh, we knew this already, but 
people kind of nationally figured out that Collins is no longer a problem defensively. He's now vastly improved on the end of the floor. He's versatile. He's athletic. He helps very well. And I think that he really made a positive impression on really everyone, including us, even though we were probably higher on him on his defense. But uh, the way that he was able to hold up in the playoffs and generally be a positive across the board uh, did not go unnoticed, I'll say. And you, you sort of see that now in the way he's talked about nationally. He kind of went from that empty stats moniker in some in some corners of the internet to uh, now it's like, all right, maybe not the same stats, but uh, more well, I guess more well-rounded at this point. Definitely. I mean, he was he was better the whole season, though. So I guess that's where the Hawks people we knew were just, we knew that. Yeah, Hawks <laughs> people were used to the good defense, and I never I thought he had a, a great postseason. I don't. Somebody's got to score less when everybody's playing thirty five minutes. That's what people don't think about is like if Trey is out there for five more minutes, then he's gonna score more, and that means somebody's scoring less. So, I mean, Collins just happened to be the guy who doesn't create as many shots for himself and shot creation is obviously so important in the playoffs. So it was just kind of something that happened. It wasn't like he was doing anything wrong. Um, In the playoffs, every possession is important. You take the best matchup every playoffs. If Embiid and Giannis are down there, probably not the best place to go. So, you know, you give the ball to your guards. And Collins still cleaned up and was like huge even in the games where you know, he really wasn't getting touches. So I think the stats and stuff, like, they're important. But the fact that he still averaged, like, 18 and 8, despite all the people being on the team that weren't on the team the year before, I mean, it was definitely his best season by far. Yeah, I think that if you just look at the box scores and all that stuff, people might be surprised by that. But I also agree. I think last year was his best year despite he didn't, you know, he averaged 22 and 10 the previous year. And anytime you get above 20 and 10, it's like a mythical baseline. Like you get above that, it's like, oh, he had, he had, a, great, he had a great season, which he did. I mean, he was very good. But I think last year he was better overall with a slightly smaller role offensively and better defense. And the thing about Collins that um, I know I was impressed by was his ability to kind of accept his role. And it's something that Nate talked about a lot um, late in the season Travis talked about a lot, and they praised him for it. This is all pre-contract. But John was in a contract year, famously wanted more money last year in the extension that they offered him. But he didn't uh, disrupt things. Like, he willingly took a smaller role, basically, offensively. Not, not a tiny role by any means, but a little bit of a smaller role. Played a little bit, played a little bit less in the minutes and played better defense and just was, like, a perfect team guy, like, just fit in. He's a competent guy, obviously won a lot of money and eventually got a lot of money. Um, but it was definitely noticed around the team, um, both publicly and privately, that he was willing and able to slot into a different role, like fit well with Capella. Obviously not perfect offensively, but it's a huge credit to Collins that he was able to be productive and be able to fit in on both ends of the floor next to a non-shooting center. That was a question that a lot of people had, including us, a year ago, is how that was going to work, and really it's not going to be a problem at all at this point. So lots of positives, and I think he was just like, you know, credited for that. And I think, you know, we talked about his defense, but I want to just emphasize it was the best he's ever been defensively by a lot. And the numbers back that up too. The team was very, very solid with him on the floor overall, like a 111-ish defensive rating. That's not like incredible. It's about league average, but still, um, when you factor in all of his teammates, that's pretty solid. When it was him and Trey, it was even better, actually, which is surprising. But that two-man group was pretty good defensively. It was better than league average. When you play with Capella, it was about 108 defensive rating 
last year. That's very, very good. And it was 104 with DeAndre Hunter. Obviously, that, that's a smaller sample size. But essentially, what Collins proved last year is that he could be a part of a good defense. We talked about, about that with Trey as well. But that was uh, that's no longer in question. And really, if you look at all like the two-man pairings and stuff, he was really only bad, quote-unquote, as a team with like Lou or with Reddish. And those are all in small sample sizes. He was actually, he was actually pretty decent with Gallinari in those four or five lineups. So defensively, I know we talked about it, but he's just come a long way. And I want to make sure that gets emphasized because, uh, you know, he's not going to be Draymond Green defensively. But I now feel like I just don't worry about it at all. Like, it, And that's, you know, two years ago, three years ago, that would have probably surprised me, but he's uh, he's come a long way. For people who want to complain about Collins' stats, just think about that Trey is top three to top five in usage rate every year, and Capella is going to be top three to top five in rebound rate. So, like, he's competing with his own teammates who are, like, elite in scoring and rebounding. The fact that he's still getting 18 and 8, I mean, he's – He's a glue guy at this point for the Hawks. I mean, maybe that's a luxury to have a $25 million glue guy, but, I mean, that's <laughs> kind of what he is because he ties kinda, yeah. everything together. He shoots, he plays defense. He's like the one guy on the team who – I want to say the one guy, but the established, like, doesn't really have a weakness other than isolation, and he can do that too. It's just why would you let someone besides Trey Young isolate when he's so good at it? So, I don't know. I mean, he's honestly, for what his job is, he's the perfect power forward in today's NBA. Yeah, he, he could. One of the big things about Collins is what you said, like his lack of weaknesses. And yeah, you could pick it apart, and we'll get into his offense and stuff in a second with his passing and maybe his ISO game. But like, he can space the floor offensively as a shooter. He's one of the best in the league, full stop, at rolling to the rim and finishing around the rim. And now. He is proficient enough on the perimeter defensively. He can guard forwards um, reasonably well on the perimeter. He can protect the rim as a weak side guy. He can rebound. Uh, you know, he's not like the the greatest anchor defensively as a center. But when he's playing center, it's like you're trading that off. You're trading that for offense because you're playing small and you're playing fast and all that stuff. So, yeah, he's so well rounded at this point that uh, you know that deserves praise i mean just to round out the defensive stuff before we move on to the offense like he was league average by epm defensively he was better than average by lebron the uh, b-ball index metric he was a positive in 538 raptor metric defensively like the numbers the advanced numbers back up the eye test basically in saying that you know he's not dominant defensively but he doesn't have to be you're playing next to capella you're playing especially i know tower jones talked about all, all the time in front of the podcast but the numbers when it was hunter collins and capella on both ends, but especially defensively, were like pretty jarringly impressive. Now, again, the sample was pretty small because Hardridge didn't play that much. But uh, you're trying to build around Trey Young. One way to do that is to uh, build a defensive front court that has DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Capella because suddenly you don't have to worry about defense much anymore. Um, again, small sample sizes, but I kind of believe that that group works in general. And that's the group that they're hoping is going to work because Collins is now locked up long term. Capella long-term, and they're obviously hoping the Hunter breaks out even more from last year. So uh, those three guys fit. He fits with he fits with Trey. He fits with, uh, honestly, he fits with Lou. He fits with DeLon Wright. He fits with Gallo. Like, John just does everything, and he's very well-rounded, and uh, it's nice to have that kind of piece, even if it's like, 
if you want to be weird about it, you could say that he's an expensive role player, quote unquote. And I don't know, I, don't, I know role players that that uh, that verbiage gets like thrown around as a negative. In this case, it's not a not a negative. It's that he fits I, in very. I well. don't think he's a role. He's a superstar at power forward. There's not really. It's like shooting guard. Like who's the best? Oh no, I'm I'm actually with you. you. Know it, it, like, it should, it should, in terms of the role that he actually plays, yeah. you you could say that he's a role player, but at the same he's time, also I, I think he's a top 50, top fifty player in the league, and I always say yeah. that. So like. It's give and take. Like he plays an interesting role, and that's maybe why the numbers were down in the playoffs and all that stuff in terms of his scoring. But I don't care about that because he can score when he needs to score, and he just does everything else. I think the most likely thing that happens is this: this contract is. I mean, it's a lot of money, so it's not going to be like anything extreme. But I think it's going to be a little bit of a good deal for the Hawks because the most likely thing to happen based on. Collins's track record is that he's going to slightly improve over the next couple seasons because yep. he's, he's only 24. So if he's, if he just keeps getting slightly more efficient as he's 25, 26, 27, when he hits his prime, he's going to be a $30 million player before this deal's over. And his next deal will, will be a max. If, if he, you know, I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but I think it's the most likely outcome. Well, one of the things about Collins that you can credit him with is that he's improved every year. I mean, he's done something he's come back, from the offseason every year and improved at something he's just he's been very good at that by all accounts he works really hard um you know in in plain view and also out of the out of the public eye like he's a hard worker and like clearly has worked on things that he need, that he knows he's worked on you know this year maybe it's the passing maybe it's the iso scoring or whatever but or if yeah. he's just you know a little bit better in the post a little bit better at shooting a little bit better at getting to the free throw line i mean the, the little things could add up and, and just make him you know, an all-star really. I yeah. mean, he's got a chance. I mean, I talked about that on the mailbag last week. Uh, you know, he's one of the guys obviously that has a chance to make the all-star team this year from the Hawks. And uh, I think he's very capable of doing that, particularly if they win at a high level. Um, all right. Before we get into some more of the uh, offensive stuff and some of his efficiency numbers, which are by the way, insane, as we'll talk about in a second, another break to hear from our sponsors on the podcast. With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone, and honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites, but for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very, very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein. The calorie range is 130 to 180. They only have four or five grams of sugar and they only have four or five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. Bet Online is back and better than ever. All eyes right now are on the gridiron with football teams across the country back on the field starting another season. And as always, Bet Online is the number one spot for all the professional and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more props, odds, and contests, betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for all things football. Head to the website right now or use your mobile device on today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That is double, yes, double, your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. That is promo code NFL100 to have that double your initial deposit. 
for football, basketball, boxing, and all of your favorite casino games, as well as golf, tennis, baseball, MMA, etc. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for you right now and throughout the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Zach, uh, I teased it, but the efficiency for Collins is outrageous. So this goes into kind of what we're talking about, um, about how he doesn't really have any weaknesses, but efficiency is probably his number one strength offensively. Like his touch is outrageous, uh, but the numbers, he has a 62% true shooting every season of his career or higher. 65% the last two years, including about 64.5% last year. That's uh, uber elite true shooting percentage. That's basically shoot, scoring about 1.3 points per, um, per possession when he, when he shoots. That's obviously awesome. Um, from three, 40% the last two years. Not huge volume, but decent enough. Taking like five per 100 possessions. And for a power four who plays some center, that's totally fine volume. He actually took more threes last year per attempt than he ever has. Um, he shot great from two last two seasons, 63%. Uh, from the line, 82% for a combo big, who's mostly a four, is excellent. Um, even 49% on long twos the last two seasons. That's excellent, man. Like, a lot of people don't shoot that. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't take a, t- a ton of those, but that shows, like, his touch. His shooting growth has been real. His form is good. His mechanics are good. And uh, last thing, 74% at the rim in his career and 76% the last two seasons. His touch... And I don't want to overstate it, but I think this is actually true. I think he is full stop one of the best finishers in the league, and he might have the best touch in the league of any big. Like, he really is that ridiculous around the rim. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I think the people that listen to this podcast know that I'm not, like, the biggest, like, you know, effusive praise guy for no reason. Collins is truly that special as a finisher. For sure. And I think if, you know, last season, Hunter just kind of, like, burst on the scene and kind of took that second roll right out of the gate I think maybe you could see that from Collins this year if um well he's gonna have to compete with bogey I think but just with Hunter maybe kind of being eased in more we don't really know probably hopefully find out more um with media day and preseason coming up exactly where Hunter's at but I think Collins I mean he played I think he should honestly play I mean, I know they don't have to play anyone a ton, but I would at least get him over 30 a game. I mean, he's he's really good and, and just young, and you don't have to play him every night. And so when he plays, you know, I feel like you could play him, like maybe not 33 like they played him two years ago, but maybe 31 or I don't know. The, yeah, 20, I, the 29 is the weirdest part of his thing to me, of his whole it, stat line. It really is, and I, I agree with you, but uh, I also – that's the weirdness about this construction, not in a bad way, but when you sign a $20 million backup power forward, like that's, that's what happens. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but when, when you sign Gallinari to that contract last year, he is going to play. And that means that Collins is going to play less. That's just kind of like, that's the math on it. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. I think that Collins is better than Gallinari and probably should play more, but I wasn't terribly surprised that he played less just because of the dynamics in play. Like when you bring in Capella, you draft a, center at six and then you sign Gallinari to a 20 million dollar deal and you have DeAndre Hunter for a little bit of time who can play some four like you should just have a lot of bodies now and I think Collins is the best of that bunch honestly I mean but at the same so I'm actually with you on this he could probably play a little bit more but it was interesting and also like not terribly shocking that he played less I just think that that's something to keep an eye on yeah I just I don't know I would just like to see you know a little bit more I mean 
but it's it's not really a big deal in the end of the day. I mean, if anything, maybe it makes him, you know, a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, good. well, also, he plays so hard. That's the thing. Like, yeah. I know early in his career, we used to not joke necessarily, but, like, Collins only has one speed. Like, preseason games. I remember vividly sitting courtside at a preseason game at Georgia Tech and, like, being mortified that he was going to get hurt because he was playing so hard and nobody else was. Like, he's just flying around. And that's one of the good things about John is his, his motor runs really hot. And maybe that's part of it, too. Maybe his, you know, he just won't be as effective, or they think he won't be as effective if he plays more minutes. I don't think that's probably true, but maybe they want to use him in shorter bursts. And they do have so much depth, they can kind of lean on that. In the playoffs, he played more, too, which is uh, good. Obviously, this is a playoff-focused team now. So maybe that's part of it in a long season, 82 games now after 72 last year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing I that think, it hurt was I think the national stats. people. The national people were probably surprised by the the minutes in the playoffs too, because I think a lot of people had the narrative, like you said, that like he didn't defend and necessarily, you know, contribute to winning. Um, for someone who's asking for a hundred million dollars, not that he didn't in general, but I think whenever he number one was proven to be one of the five trusted guys and really like you know one of probably the third best player on the Hawks after. Trey and Capella overall. I mean, just from beginning to end, obviously Herter in the Philly series was was up there. But yeah, I mean, I think he just brings so much to the team. It's it's probably hard to keep him off the floor. But I mean, I guess whenever you have this kind of team, it's like nobody really has to go out there and and like just overexert. And like he's got his contract, so he doesn't need to like prove anything. So it's probably smarter to just do what they do and you know yeah the only thing honestly like like i said the only thing that that quote-unquote hurt was his scouting stats and and that didn't matter he got paid anyway um and like the rebounding in particular people were like oh, well he's rebounded so much less i'm like well you play a guy next to next to capella who leads the league in rebounding you're gonna get less rebounds it's just what it is and that doesn't really matter it doesn't mean that he's any worse rebounding than he was before <laughs> it's just kind of um same thing with the scoring i mean you put him next to guys who can actually score like you put him next to bogdanovich or even a better version of herder and hunter and gallinari like yeah he took less shots that's just what happens yeah and a lot of those guys are like guys who like to have their pull up you know they're kind of pull up shooters so like yeah you, you just have to let everybody they had yeah. one distributor last. They they had one distributor last year's Trey. Like everybody else, you could say, like in their preferences. You know, once Rondo was gone, every other guy on the roster, their preferences more shoot than pass. Um, not that these guys can't pass. Like Herder can pass, obviously, and Bogey can pass, and all that stuff. But like they have one distributor, and even him, he's a thirty point scorer. So it's like, yeah, uh, they don't have a ton of that yeah, in general. So their best passer is also the best scorer. <laughs> so yes, just... agree. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's Trey's wild in, in itself, but. Um, and speaking of passing, that is, as we sort of referenced earlier, Collins is probably his worst part of his offensive game still is, is his passing. He did knock down his turnover rate last year. It was a career best, about 9% or so. That's pretty good. So not, not an issue in terms of the turnovers, but just not like a gifted passer, like short roll stuff. It's not his best skill. He's gotten better, I think, just anecdotally and also just watching every moment of his career, basically. I think he's a better passer now than he was, but it's not a huge plus. And that's something that like does get noticeable when you're playing him with Capella and stuff like that. It's not a huge problem, but I, that's one that's one area that I would circle as hopefully that's something he could add to. Yeah, I mean, I think you – the one if, – if you were going to criticize this postseason, to me there were some possessions where he would get caught with the ball and kind of just hold it and then get late in the clock and have to kind of figure out how to get him – you know, kind of get himself into a, a jam with the ball and have to, like, lob it out. 
uh, near the half court. But I think mostly, I mean, you ideally are not running your offense to where he's making a ton of decisions as in like running through him. So I think, I mean, it would be nice if he could improve in that area. And I think, you know, he, he probably definitely, it's probably the stuff he's working on the hardest is just, you know, fitting in with um, the thing with him and Capella. I mean, they got better as the season progressed. So, I mean, it might oh, be yeah. something he continues to get better at as far as like he was actually finding Capella by the end of the season on some of the lobs and some of the just not even necessarily the short roll, but just he was a little more aware that, hey, there's a big guy under the rim. And if I can get it to him, you know, like yeah, in, in the past, in the past, he wasn't like, I mean, Deadman was good, but he wasn't really good at the rim, honestly. Like, he, he didn't get a ton of pimp. No, got more, Collins more played center. I mean, that's the thing. Collins so, basically was the center offensively. Right. So he had to get used to someone else being down there. And I think it's something like, in a way, he, he probably, I mean, it was almost like a rookie type, like, thing where he had to, like, completely adjust and, like, learn to play that way. You know, I mean, it's like when you come to the NBA, everything changes. It was like another thing that changed. And Yep. I think that's only going to get better with time. So, yeah, he he had another uh, he had a guy next to him in Capella that was so much better than the guys they had the previous year, obviously. But also, like Deadman was the only guy that Collins has played with that was like a quality starting center in his career, basically. And Deadman was so different from Capella. Like they had Deadman popping most of the time, and Collins was basically diving to the rim all the time. And it's just a very different role. And they figured it out to their credit. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good point. It's just like I he, think like a light went off his head at some point during the season where like he realized teams knew he's pretty good one on one on the block, so they were sending the center just banking that he won't hit that lob pass. And like whenever he started to kind of throw it, I felt like that was like whenever because he kind of had like a hot stretch on the yeah towards the playoffs that kind of went unnoticed because of you know just bogey Trey whatever, but. He was better in the second half than the first half. And I think, you know, he could get, I wouldn't, I don't think he'll get back to 10 rebounds, but I wouldn't say it's impossible he would score 20 a game this year. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, I, I agree with the rebounds just because Capella's there and does what, what, what Capella does. But yeah, I mean, the Hawks have, I think, three candidates outside of Trey that could average 20 a game this year. Um, not together, they won't all do it, but I think Bogey, Hunter, and Collins could all do it uh, conceivably to me. Get average twenty, average twenty a game. Um, Bogey just on huge volume for three. Hunter having a breakout, and then Collins kind of just doing what he already does, but even more of it. Um, interesting stuff there. But I mean, in general, last thing I want to say before we get out of here is like, not to the point of Trey. Like Trey is the engine. Everyone knows that. But essentially, when Collins plays, the Hawks were awesome offensively last year, about, about a one sixteen offensive rating. When you play with Trey, it was one eighteen. And those two guys, like, you know, they've always been good. Even when the Hawks were terrible two years ago, for the most part, when they played Trey and Collins together, they were good on offense. And that's, again, most of that's Trey. I will, Trey's definitely the bigger part of it. But Collins is also an awesome offensive player, full stop. And in general, the Hawks were very good when he played last year, plus 4.3 net rating with Collins on the floor overall, and they were negative when he sat. So that is not coincidence. He's a good player. Like I said, I think he's a top 50 player in the league. The contract is a lot, and you know if he has a bad game in October, I'm sure someone will tweet at me about how they paid him too much money. Um, but I don't care about that. I like that contract. I think it was a pretty good value. Um, he's only locked up until his age 28 season, so he should still be in his prime. I just, you know, 
being excited about John Collins is not like a revolutionary thing, but I think John Collins is awesome. So <laughs> that's, I, uh, yeah, that's no, probably I all mean, I have to say. No, I mean, I agree. Like I just said, I think the contract is – I know that people were like, well, we're saying when it happened, like, oh, I, which is weird when people say this, but I get it because they want cap space and stuff. But, like, people wish it's more team-friendly. I still think the deal is team-friendly. So if, like – Guess what, Zach? They, they, they're not going to cap space for a long time. Cap space is no longer a thing for this team. It's going to be I know, but you know, you know how some people <laughs> – Oh, get, I know. Like, now, listen, I, I think I probably mentioned it as, like, look, could they have squeezed him more probably? I, I think they probably could have. I at least get but... it in basketball. In baseball, when they're, like, wanting to sign people to cheap and there's no limit, I'm like, why do you <laughs> – Whatever. Well, the, the only reason I, why it even conceivably matters is if you're worried about Tony Russell paying the tax. But even right. then, like, honestly, if you if Collins was unrestricted, say that if he was actually a free agent that could be just gotten by anybody without without matching, and he signed for what he signed for, it would have been no one would, would have blinked an eye. It was just the fact that they had leverage on him because they they knew that there was not a bitter coming. They could have squeezed him more, but like. I don't care, and neither should you. That's the thing. I'm someone who cares about this stuff a lot, and I, I will always point it out, and that's part of my job here. But given where the Hawks are, way over the cap and not going to be under the cap for a very, very long time, practically speaking, it didn't really matter. And I think that they didn't give him a five-year max. Like They gave him a very reasonable contract. I think he'll be worth that contract unless he gets injured or something like that. I think his performance level is worth that contract and probably a little bit more than that. If it was higher than that, I still wouldn't have crushed it. The only way that I would have been like, all right, that was too much, is that they gave him a five-year max, and they gave him like $40 million less than that. So, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, and he, even if they gave him the five-year max, it's like – It still would have been fine. Like, it's really. It's kind of like the Jamal Murray thing. It's like, okay, this is our guy. He's good. Like, we don't want to lose him. Yeah, and again, practically speaking, the only reason it might matter to you is if you're, A, trying to trade him, or B, worrying about the tax. Like, you're over the cap. It just – it is what it is. So, yeah, I mean, would it stun me beyond belief if they traded John Collins during this contract? No, it wouldn't. But I also don't think that they will in the in the near future. Like, I know that was one of the things that was talked about a lot last year, and um, he's obviously a, a core piece of this team, and they're going to be good. And if they're good, like, they're just going to keep it rolling, I think. So we'll see. But I think he'll be a key piece of this team this year. You could argue, like, him versus Capella versus, you know, even Bogey or if Hunter breaks out, like, who's the second-best player? I think right now it's – I think last year it was Capella on on the whole. If you ask me who the best player was right now, like, I would I would say Collins, personally. Um, Capella was more valuable last year because of his defense and then just how important that was to this, to this roster. If you want to argue him, that's totally fine. But I think if I had to, like, do a top 100 list, I might have Capella – I might have Collins the highest of outside trade force i definitely would i mean i think even capella could could be the fourth best player on the team this year if either hunter takes a leap or if bogey shoots like he was shooting for like a long stretch again well yeah i don't i don't think bogey really has that realistic risk shot to be more valuable just because of how much shooting the hawks have but i mean there is a chance that capella is really good and not even close to being the second best player again yeah i mean part of the thing was just the the overall value on the defensive end of the floor because he basically turned them in to a solid defense on his own, not totally on his own, but he was by far the biggest reason. And that, you know, also he was pretty healthy for the most part, whereas other guys weren't like obviously Hunter and Bogey missed a huge time. Um, the three guys who were healthy last year, uh, well, I guess the fourth was Herter, but the three guys who were in this discussion, you know, Trey Collins and Capella were the three most valuable guys on the team last year because they played the most and they're obviously three of the best five players. So 
we'll see. But overall, I mean, the point really is for this conversation is like Collins is really, really good. And I think still underrated. I think he he got some credit, which I was uh, pleased by in the playoffs from some national places about his defense and all that stuff. Um, but I think he's still undervalued personally. So, yeah, I mean, I, the list I'm seeing so far, um, I don't know. There's some people ahead of him. I think he's better than, but that was to be expected. That always so, happens, and uh, I'm sure I'll have nah, a Buddy Heald rant at some point on this podcast. I was almost gonna, I was almost gonna talk about that list, but I don't even want to give it. I don't even want to give it the satisfaction because it doesn't really matter. I'll probably do it at some point when I have nothing else to talk about. But uh, yeah, no, anyway. I mean, I feel that, but it just, and honestly, <laughs> Hawks fans doesn't matter it doesn't uh all right zach well anything else to add and if not please tell people that I can find your stuff i know you've been on this podcast a lot recently and those podcasts by the way are still in the archive go back and listen if you missed any of those but uh please plug everything that you have going on man of course um keep rolling on our player preview uh pre player preview series get that out um <laughs> at peace Street Hoop. player preview series at peace Street so many peace but we're I think over two thirds of the way through now, we still have Trey Collins, Bogey uh, to come out. Uh, Hunter went up today by Tony P, the man. Shouts to Tony. So check that out. Uh, my personal stuff is at Zhood underscore on Twitter. So yeah, happy to come on again. And don't forget, YouTube Gorgie Jing crosses <laughs> LeBron James. You will not be disappointed you got to do that i will take your recommendation and do that after this podcast is over but thank you sir please follow zach on the twitter machine check out peace Hoops, where there's always some great written work happening and uh, more to come there as well follow this podcast at locked on hawks on twitter follow me if you'd like to at bt roland subscribe rate review and we'll see you next time